Your life in Christ makes you strong and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the spirit and you have kindness and compassion for one another. I urge you then to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, being one in soul and mind. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves. And look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. And so in honor of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven, on earth and in the world below will fall on their knees and will all will openly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. I like how even this one flows in a way because it kind of crescendos to this praise And a lot of New Testament scholars think that this set of verses is like an early Christian poem or it's like a hymn that they might have sung in church. And you can see how this is so deep of a message that you could just sing it over and over again. It keeps informing yourself as a community and as a as a person that's seeking after God and trying to follow Jesus. And so um, it's a rich text. Um, Let's go back up to verse one in this version. A lot of the versions use the word if, like if you're experiencing this. But this one just says your life in Christ makes you strong. His love comforts you. You have fellowship with the spirit and you have kindness and compassion for one another. And it's kind of like he's he's speaking this as if in this version, it's already there. Um, And I think there's some power in that. We can assume pretty safely that they're not always practicing these things together in every single situation in every family. But I think it's powerful sometimes because sometimes when we think about what ifs in our life, it's almost always connected with a fear or an anxiety or something negative that what if might happen. Okay. so here he's speaking into this community and he's saying, uh, you know, in, in the NIV, it's like if if these things are true, then verse two. But in this version, I like it. It just takes the if out and just said, hey. You have fellowship with the spirit. Your life in Christ makes you strong. You have kindness and compassion for one another. Like these things are reality. And so what I think he's doing is kind of prophetically speaking over this group of people and saying, this is true about who you are as people in Jesus. This is true about who you are as a church. So go and live this way. And I think it's powerful for us to think about when we think about the what ifs for our communities and for our families is to, to look at it from the version of hope. Like, where is God taking us? What could be if God gets involved in our lives? What could be? And we speak about things as if the kingdom of God is coming and making its, making God's presence known among us. And that transforms our what ifs from fear into hope. OK, so just put that little mark in the back of your mind. We're going to get back to that. Um, verses two and three now. Uh, He says, I urge you then to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, being one in soul and mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves. Now, Paul is speaking to like a whole church here to the Philippians. In fact, they're like reading his letter out loud and and taking this in. Um, But this certainly also speaks to 
um, other important types of relationships too. It speaks to our family relationships, our significant friendships, and even our spiritual family together. And so I'd kind of like to, to look at this verse, these sets of the set of verses today, from the angle of how does this speak into kind of our family dynamics, our spiritual family dynamics, our immediate family dynamics, our close friendships. So that's the angle I kind of want to approach this from today. Um, it is, after all, fall uh, celebration, and it was a little bit late to do back to school, but we are kind of having this family kid theme today. So that's kind of where we're going with it. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, this fall, our missional communities in Richardson and in, in Junius are focusing and just dis- about discovering what does God want us to do in our neighborhoods? How does God want us to, to be good news people to our neighbors? And that's going to be exciting for us to discover. But I think even before we get to that, we have a chance now to say, how are we sharing good news with each other? How are we sharing that with ourselves? How are our families uh, ex- experiencing good news together? And this this scripture in particular is just full of good news for us. And so um, I'm convicted of this, and I'm just going to read it. Um, Loving my family and myself well enables me to not only live out my love more fully to others, but it's one of the most tangible examples of good news for my neighbors. When I learn to love and serve my family, people will see Jesus more clearly in my family. And that certainly has to do with our immediate families, but it has to do with our spiritual family as well. And Dasha, let me pick on you, because I know in part of your story is uh, before coming to, to a faith in Christ, you saw this group of people that were caring and loving for each, each other, and you, you said, that's, that's different, that's unique, there's something beautiful about this. You know, what's, what's going on? And it makes you curious about who they are and what's, what's going on in the midst of, of that group. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, is that the good news is not just something that we, sh- we speak out, but it's something that's lived out among us. And that's a huge testimony as we're deciding, you know, God, where are you sending us in our neighbors? They're going to look at us and say, okay, so that's what you're about. That's what you look like. Um, let's read verse four. Look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. So whenever I get the chance to speak, I, I usually run in my lesson by Julie, my wife, and um, she usually somehow she makes it a lot better, but sometimes like destroys it and then makes it better. <laughs> but we didn't have time to go through that process until late last night. So she destroyed it. And now I didn't have time to make it completely better. So I'm asking the spirit to give me some wisdom here. But really what I wanted us to think about is in what ways um, does selfishness creep into our key relationships, our key family relationships, our key uh, friendships and our spiritual family? And um, as he says, don't do anything from selfish ambition. Um, then he says, look out for one another's interests and not just for your own. And I think it's what I wanted to explore is the fact that we need each other. Like we have this need for each other. That's real. And I thought of the movie um, uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks and where he's he's all alone and he's on this island 
and he has just a few supplies. And he, he finds a volleyball and he draws a little face on it. Does anybody remember the name that he gave? Wilson. Okay, very creative name. And so we're watching him like have this, this alone experience, but he's connecting with this imaginary volleyball friend. And it becomes real enough to where when Wilson is floating away into the ocean and he's crying, Wilson, you know, there's not a dry eye in the house, <laughs> even though it's a volleyball. <laughs> and that, that speaks to our need uh, and the reality of our need for companionship and friendship and, and community. You know, if, if we can uh, feel that, that bond with an imaginary volleyball friend, you know, how much more do we need real people? Um, Sometimes our culture glorifies the idea of individuality, and yet God has made us for community. As, as God said, as he looked at Adam, he's like, it's not good for man to be alone. Amen, Brother Shem? Yeah. Um, and so we need each other. Uh, one of the best marriage books out there is called His Needs, Her Needs. So we've got needs that you know, we try to help each other feel, fill. Um, but one thing that I was thinking about in light of this text is... Um, how sometimes we put on our um, marriages and in our kids' life and in our, our good friends and even in our church family, we put on them sometimes things that really only God should meet for us. Um, and, and when we do that, when we, when we look for our deep core values, like um, identity level stuff, like um, you know, who, who am I really, uh, am I valuable, am I loved, am I good, and if, if we put all of that on our family, spiritual or immediate or otherwise, to, to tell us who that is rather than God, then we end up misusing that relationship. And I'm not exactly sure how to say this, so this is where Julie destroyed my message. But um, I think that when we uncover the surface and we roll back the layers of our relationships, we find that sometimes some of those little codependent things that happen, some of those conversations where... We, we get into these patterns and cycles and um, and and there's like hurt feelings. But then, but then you, you always do the same thing over and over again, you know, kind of stuff. And I think that a lot of that is we're putting stuff on our family that we really need from something beyond our family. We're putting stuff on our spiritual family. Something sometimes we're putting a, a need or a pressure on them to provide something that really only God can provide. And so. Um, I think that really to be able to not be selfish towards those people means that we need to really draw our identity from from the father first. And that's going to free us up. Um, The thought that I I wrote down was um, when Paul paints this picture where we're looking out for one another's interests, it's a picture of how we are so settled in our hearts that we aren't using each other to constantly meet our own needs because God has given us peace and that frees us up to love each other well without any strings attached. See, if if I'm loving you, but I really need you to to meet my need for approval and yada, 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 then um, there's always some strings attached because if I'm not getting exactly what I'm I'm wanting out of this conversation or this relationship, then then I'm not really able to pay attention to what you want or what you say because I'm... I'm trying to get something out of it. Um, you know, you think about something as petty as, you know, if I walk in on a Sunday and let's say Chris has had a really bad day and a really bad week and, um, and I'm looking for this group to be my, my, my sense of um, joy and, and, and approval and my identity as being a likable person or a good person. 
I'd say, Chris, had a bad day? And he's like, and I say, hey, Chris, how's it going? He's like, oh, you know, and, and maybe he just kind of, he doesn't mean to blow me off, but maybe he's just having a bad day. Maybe he stumped his toe or whatever. And I just walk away and I take that as, man, I'm just not, you know, I must be unlikable or Chris doesn't like me anymore. What did I do? Or just all these different little, you know, tapes that sometimes play in our heads. And I'm not saying that we're all at that kind of level all the time, but I'm saying those sorts of interactions happen among us in our significant relationships. And what it does is it creates these um, it creates these underlying levels of selfishness in those relationships. Okay. So what do we do to get out of that? What do we do if we want to see God's kingdom breaking into our spiritual family and into our immediate families? Well, this is where Paul points us to the picture of Jesus. And he says, I want you to have the same attitude that he did. I want you to take the steps that Jesus took. Okay. Um, So when I look closely at at Jesus in this text, the first thing that I see is the first thing I see in the text is that he made a decision uh, to become a man because that's God's will. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. But I think before that is that he knew that the love that is between the father and the son is so rich that that he wants to do that. And so really the first step in us experiencing transformation and becoming more like Jesus in this text is, I think, for us to experience God's love. Because it's that love between the Father and the Son that I think motivates the Son to say, hey, I'll do it. I'll go. You know, of course, we're talking about God, so we don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm just um, anthropomorphizing. Yeah. Sorry, I pointed at you. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> um, but, but in some sense, out of the love that, that they share as trinity um the son is pleased to delight to delight the father and to follow his will and to do this and so for us i think the desire to follow jesus and to be and say i really want to be a servant to my family and to my spiritual family i really want to look out for your interests at least as much as i look out for my own interests and i think to really experience that change begins with this deep recognition that god loves us that the father loves us that um, before we do anything, just like when Jesus was baptized and, and this voice from heaven and Matthew says, this is my son. With him, I'm well pleased. You realize Jesus had just been like building tables up until that time, right? He hadn't been out preaching and healing, healing people and uh, casting out demons or dying on the cross. I mean, Jesus has grown up and he's, a, he's been a carpenter. Um, and, and this is what the father says to him. You're my son. With you, I'm well pleased. And so if that message that not based on anything that we've done, but just based on who God is, that we are cherished and we are loved and the father loves us. If that seeps into our hearts, that's the motivation to want to change, to make a decision to become a servant like Jesus did. Now, it's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as me saying that, hey, the father loves you, Sarah. The father loves you, Gary. Um, it helps, but um, it's one of those things that we have to just grow and, and that's talk about marinating in something is the idea that God loves us. And so that's a whole other sermon, but that's the starting point for us. Um, the second step is then the decision that's made. And this is where Jesus makes the decision to incarnate as a man. Uh, part of God's plan, part of his will, he becomes 
one of us. He humbles himself. He doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to hold on to. He's willing to make this uh, humbling decision for what the fa- for the Father's mission. Okay, and so for us, uh, God loves us, and so we're like, you know, I really should be a servant to my family or to my church here. I, I'd like to be more like. God in that regard. I'd like to be more like Jesus, and we decide to do it. Okay? But then comes the hard part. Um, in verse 8, it says, He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. It's the path of obedience. Okay? That's the hard part. That's the, the road full of cracks and, and, and rocks and all sorts of things. Um, and sometimes I think we make a decision to change, especially in dynamics that are used to certain ways of interacting. And we make a change and we don't get the reaction that we wanted. And so we're like, well, I tried. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I can imagine, like, let's say my, my, my norm, my pattern is I, I go home and I sit, uh, sit down at the dinner table. And as we're come talking about our day, I'm kind of a, a phone uh, scroller and I'm flipping through my social media or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I need to be present. And so I put down the phone and I start looking people in the eye while they're talking and asking questions. I might, my per, the first reaction I get back might be, what are you doing? <laughs> or what did you do to make you feel guilty enough to want to put your phone down and do this? And then, you know, my reaction might be like, well, fine then. I tried. You know, I'm going to go back and check Facebook or whatever. So. Um, that's just a, you know, that's a cavalier sort of example, but it's, it's those sort of things where we get caught up when we try to make steps of transformation in our lives. We get caught up in something and sometimes it knocks us off the path really quick. So part of the path is endurance to saying, you know, I want to live this verse out in my spiritual community. Um, and even if I if I stumble my way through it at first, I'm going to try to keep following Jesus in this because we're not good at stuff like this at first. Um, the way I think it's best to walk in a daily obedience is that the Spirit of God nudges us in certain directions. And the way that we start to pay attention to the Spirit is, A, just to believe that He's not, hard, he's not playing hard to get all the time. Like, the idea that the, the Spirit wants to guide us but, you know, I've got to go fast for three months and go live up on a mountain for a year to be able to, to, to encounter the will of God somehow, I think, is, is a fallacy. I mean, there are periods of our life where I think that God um, kind of pulls back a little bit, so we'll pursue a little bit more. There's something called the dark night of the soul, where there's a sense in which the silence is what we get, and we have to kind of deal with that and, and, and grow through that experience. But for the most part, I think that God wants to communicate with us. He wants to help us out. He wants to guide us. He wants to show us where to go. And it may not be as specific as we want, but I think a lot of times the issue is not so much his silence, but it's our inability to stop and to listen and to pay attention. And so, uh, for example, um, my challenge would be uh, to you is, um, I mean, find today or tomorrow, just find a little spot, a little quiet spot and just Put aside a space of 10 or 15 minutes and get a little notebook or get, get your laptop or something and sit down and, um, and say, Father, how can I show love to my family this week? How can I show love to my initial community this week? 
And then you just listen. And you stop and you listen. And you start to write down your thoughts. Maybe you get nothing. And then I, I say, get, get your Bible. Um, read through it. Maybe read through Philippians. And see what comes up with that question in mind. Father, how can I show love to my family this week? Read through it. See what come, pops up. I don't think you're going to come up empty. In other words, as you think and you pray and as you write things down, then you may be like, uh, what I just wrote down is kind of weird or it's kind of crazy. Well, call up somebody that you trust or call in you know, somebody in your family that you trust and say, okay, I did that thing Paul talked about. Listen for the Spirit. And this is kind of what I came up with. Is that crazy or does that sound like something I should do? And as the body of Christ, as the community, we help each other discern God's will for us. Okay, and so at that point, if they say, no, that, that sounds like something that would be a good idea, then the, the step is, okay, do it. Put it into practice. Don't just sit on it. Don't just spend that time and be like, oh, that's a cool thought. That's a cool idea. Um, I should, I should uh, uh, take a deep breath before I walk in the door when I come home uh, and, and just ask God to give me patience because I'm about to run into the chaos of David and Caleb. And um, I'm going to react. I might react out of my impatience rather than out of patience. Um, then the, the call is to do it. And I think the more that we put that into practice, the sense of God is guiding us into this way of life more and more. I think we're going to experience that as good news. We're gonna, going to experience the gospel um, filling up our lives. And it's going to be really, really, really good. So what I'd like for us to do now, just for a few minutes, is just have a little bit of dreaming time. And I talked about those what-ifs at the, at the very beginning. Um, this idea that we can speak, usually what we speak into our, about our future are things about fear. Or it's like worst-case scenario sort of things. What if I run out of money and my, you know, I can't provide for my family? Um, what if uh, I was thinking this this morning because my low tire gauge came on? What if my tire busted out and, you know, we were stranded or whatever else? Um, what ifs are usually full of fear. Um, but what if the dreams that we dream for our spiritual family and for our interaction with them and for our immediate families, what if those were pictures of what God could do? What if those were things about, like Paul did in, in verse 1 where he said... Um, your life in Christ makes you strong. What, if, what would it look like for our families to feel strong? His love comforts you. What if love was the, the most common emotion that we felt? You have fellowship with the Spirit. What if there was a sense that the, these new relationships that are forming in our spiritual families, our mission communities, what if there was a deep sense of, wow, I feel connected like I've never felt before? Um, you have kindness and compassion. You know, what if I did uh, stop on my way into the door after a long day of work and I just asked God to fill me up with kindness and compassion? And, and that's the way that I started to react towards my children, even when they were going crazy. Um, these are the what ifs I'd like for us to dream about for a moment. And so what I'd like for us to do out of respect for the introverts is take about a minute or two. And I just want you to, to think and pray and just imagine what is something that I, that I could do, that God could do in me, that can just really be a positive change in my family? Um, again, immediate spiritual family, deep friendships, kind of fit it to the context you feel God calling you to this morning. But dream some what-ifs um, for yourself and what God might do. 
And then I'd like for us to take a chance to sit around our tables um, and just share some about what what's coming to mind. And um, if you don't feel comfortable sharing, that's completely fine. But I think there's some power in speaking out loud these dreams. And because so often when we speak out loud our negative dreams, I think that has power over us too. So I'd like for us to speak out loud kind of these positive what ifs. Um, and I think that that can be a powerful thing. Let me pray for us and then we'll we'll break out into our table groups. Father, as we uh, once again just take in um, this early Christian song about um, what Jesus has done and the decisions that he made and the example that he gives, we ask uh, that this would begin to seep into our hearts and um, Lord, win us over with this good news that when we live this sort of life that you raise up every everybody when we serve first, when we honor others above ourselves, that, that you raise up everybody. And it's not a loss for us to serve others. It's not a loss for us to practice obedience. It's, it's a win because you transform those things into good news. And so, Lord, give us dreams about what else for our, our families. And I pray, uh, Spirit, that you would um, speak into our minds and our hearts right now so that uh, thoughts would, would flow and we wouldn't just feel stuck. Um, so we're listening for you. In Jesus' name, amen.